Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about armor. <laughs> Nathan, what is armor? Well, um, armor is things they put on your things. Basically, more clothes that are harder than your clothes that you put on your clothes. Partially correct. Personally, I would phrase it, it is stuff you put on your body that is harder than your body, so you get hurt less. But... Fair enough. Because, <laughs> yeah, you could put your, you know, harder stuff on top of clothes. I, I want to see, like, a knight dressed in full plate armor, and it's just, like, naked underneath it's. Amazing, oh, God, miserable. No, <laughs> so many. Because again, there are so many just, just joints that would pinch in very bad places. No, that'd be awful. It's amazing. <laughs> you you, ah. you would see blood come out. <laughs> you would die slowly. Uh, you oh and I are into very different things. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, I am not that kind of masochist. No, thanks. Anyway. In D&D 5th edition, there are quite a number of armor types available in order to protect your player characters from getting harmed as easily. So mechanically speaking, this is represented by a character's armor class, or AC, which is just the number that attack rolls are rolled against to determine, does your character get hurt? And this particular stat armor class is one of those things that can be a little bit wishy-washy in terms of what it actually means because that number is represented both by how heavily armored your character is or how nimble your character is to be able to avoid getting hit so a barbarian is able to just tank hits even without armor while a monk or a more dexterous character also does have a higher armor class just because of the dexterity stat or class abilities, you know, for in the monk's case. But for the sake of this episode, 
while we will definitely be mentioning AC a lot, we are going to be focusing on just actual physical armor that your characters are putting on their bodies. So with that being said, there are three types of armor. There is light armor, medium armor, and heavy armor. And in order those calculate your AC, it's not just more or less, but the actual calculation of the AC is different in each category. And what types of armor your character is able to wear is based on the character's armor proficiency. So going into the player's handbook equipment chapter to talk about armor proficiency here. Anyone can put on a suit of armor or strap a shield to an arm. Only those proficient in an armor's use know how to wear it effectively, however. Your class gives you proficiency with certain types of armor. If you wear armor that you lack proficiency with, you have disadvantage on any ability check, saving throw, or attack roll that involves strength or dexterity, and you can't cast spells. So that is actually a very important couple of sentences, because that actually really does make a lot of logical sense, which I appreciate. Any character can put on plate armor, but if you are not proficient with it in the game's mechanical sense, then you can't do shit while you're wearing the armor because you don't know how to wear it and move with it correctly. That really makes a lot of sense. So disadvantage on all ability checks, saving throws, and strength or dexterity attack rolls, and cannot cast spells. So all of that together is pretty freaking significant penalty if you don't have armor proficiency. But if you are wearing a type of armor that does add a lot more protection, however, there might actually be a situation where that trade-off may be worth it. So that's actually something I want to go back to a little bit more towards the end after we've talked about what the various armor types and such actually do. But I'm just going to go ahead and put a bookmark in that for the moment. So another detail that is important to know about heavy armor in particular. Heavier armor interferes with the wearer's ability to move quickly, stealthily, and freely. If the armor table shows strength 13 or strength 15 in the strength column for an armor type, the armor reduces the wearer's speed by 10 feet unless the wearer has a strength score equal to or higher than the listed score. So that's actually pretty cool because that also then means if you do have a situation where you're trying to, you know, escort a wizard somewhere and you for some reason have an extra set of plate armor, if you shove a wizard into plate armor, he's probably not going to be able to move at full speed. So this is a logical mechanical penalty, which again, awesome in my opinion, because in that situation, then if you just don't have that, you know, 15 strength necessary to comfortably carry the armor that you're wearing, then yeah, you're gonna be slowed by 10 feet. So neat. Next up, stealth. If the armor table shows disadvantage in the stealth column, the wearer has disadvantage on stealth checks. That checks out. So if you do have certain types of armor, like the obvious example, to me at least, would be chainmail. Chainmail is thousands of metal rings linked together. You are not going to be quiet if you are wearing chainmail. So the fact that it is only disadvantage and not auto-fail any stealth check is a fair compromise in my opinion, because boy is that stuff loud. 
just for curiosity's sake, have you ever actually gotten to be around or play with any actual chainmail? I actually happen to have a chainmail dice bite right beside me. Give me a sec because um, I didn't tie up properly, so the dice are falling everywhere. But... <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, on a silent night, if your party is trying to creep across, you know, a silent courtyard, and you just hear that, shake bag, please, that is a metallic sound that is really fucking apparent. And if, imagine that sound multiplied by 20 because they're wearing it over their entire body. So having disadvantage for just the sounds that armor makes is actually pretty reasonable. So this is the entire armor section, I will honestly say, in my opinion, is pretty well designed in a good compromise between just practicality of what a character can and can't do with the various armor types and the penalties involved in such. Because in theory, a character who is proficient in something like chainmail, yeah, maybe they do just learn how to minimize the rattling sound as they walk. So giving them disadvantage really does just check out logically. Anyway, sorry, that was a tangential rant, but fun. Anyway, shields. A shield is made from wood or metal and carried in one hand. Wielding a shield increases your armor class by two. You can benefit from only one shield at a time. So this is actually a very important little detail. Because the question comes up surprisingly often, I've seen, that someone asks, well, could I just wield two shields and just, you know, bash with it and just have, you know, double armor class boost for having two shields? So this is one case where I would say, personally, I disagree with the rules as written. Because I think that if a character wants to be, you know, defensive focused and then has just double shields, I personally would say that that would be fine. That if someone wants to have two shields and, you know, potentially even invest in sufficient magic one day to have two magic item shields, that the trade-off of that and the lack of offense involved as well, I would personally say that that should be okay. So I don't actually like that the official rules are one shield to benefit from. So even if someone is wearing two, they still only get that individual plus two to AC. So that is important to know, but I do just want it on the record that I disagree. So, I just find it hilarious that you could have a character with like, according to like in actuality, but imagine if it, they knew it's, it was D&D or something and wearing a shield gave you a better boost. They literally cover everything with like a shield. They strap on their both arms, one on both legs, one on their back, one over their head. And it's like, I am prepared for anything. And then as a trade-off, they are completely immobile, but they have an AC of 27. It's like, like nothing honest, can hurt me now. <laughs> I would be kind of okay with that even, even as ridiculous as that is. Because if someone has, you know, total cover just by being surrounded by shields, all right, <laughs> you can't move, you can't attack because there's no gap in the shields for attacks to go in or out. I'd be kind of okay with that. If you want to just have ridiculously shielded individual okay tell you what fireball deck save motherfucker ah it's shit like, oh, no, disadvantage on deck save because <laughs> you're immobile shit again in a world of magic yeah you might be protected from weapons and arrows and such but magic still exists and aoe still exists and anything that requires a saving throw you'd be kind of fucked still so if someone wanted to invest that much to f you know have the protection from weapons specifically fuck it go nuts just I don't see a reason to limit it 
arbitrarily. Just like the fact that someone can be proficient in shields, have two shields, and not get that boost just seems a little bit silly to me. I personally wouldn't lean into, you know, your extreme with that, you know, just shield based character. I don't even know what to call him, but two shields again made se- makes sense to me. Your mileage may vary. And as DM, that is always something that you can decide for your own games. So moving on past that additional rant, though. <sighs> so I mentioned that there's the three armor types, light, medium and heavy. Now, there are different calculations for each of them. Someone who is wearing light armor, and again, for all of these, it's assuming that the character is proficient with the armor. We went over earlier what happens if you're not proficient. We're just going to assume that you are going forward. So light armor is whatever the armor... So there are three types of light armor, and whatever armor class the armor itself gives you, plus your dexterity modifier is whatever your AC will end up to be. So there is padded armor, leather armor, and studded leather armor in increasing quality. So padded armor is pretty much just what it sounds like. Just a whole bunch of layers of cloth. So historically speaking, this is also something called a gambeson, which was often just the typical just cloth armor that a lot of infantry and just individuals back in historical periods wore to protect themselves. So Weirdly enough, adventurers never wear padded armor, even though it was the most common, historically speaking. But in D&D, because adventurers just have a lot more gold available than typical people did back in the day, that even though this was the most common, overwhelmingly, it is completely unused, as far as I'm aware, in the D&D world, just because even starting armor for adventurers is better. And uh, so when I say better, uh, padded armor will give you 11 plus your dex modifier AC. And one very important thing to keep in mind, when that says that you get to add your dex modifier, that means regardless of what your dex modifier actually is. So someone who has a 14 dexterity will have a plus two. So then they would have 13 AC. However, it does also mean that a character with an eight dexterity would have a negative one to their AC while wearing light armor. So someone wearing a padded armor then, instead of having 11, would actually only have a 10 AC. On the other hand, if they are not wearing armor, then they would only have a 9 AC. So it's still beneficial to wear it. Now, the downside to padded armor, and the reason that no one ever uses it, is because this is one of the types of armor that grants disadvantage on your stealth checks. So because of the fact that you're wearing so many layers of cloth restricts your ability to move quietly easily, disadvantage on stealth. So then you've got your classic leather armor, which is probably one of the most common armor types actually used in the game, which is that exact same 11 plus dex mod AC, but does not grant disadvantage. So this is the armor that, you know, most rogues in the game will have for a large part of their careers because it's just that 11 plus dex mod, and as a rogue, your dexterity is likely to be quite good. So it makes sense then that if you have a character that will eventually have, you know, let's just say they do real well for themselves for a long period of time, roll well on their stats at the start, and they eventually get to have that 20 dexterity maximum that a character can have. So that would give them a plus 5 for a 16 AC in that leather armor, which is honestly a really solid number. 
but any character who does get the additional gold will want to upgrade to studded leather eventually, which gives them a 12 plus dexterity modifier. So not a huge boost, but every point of AC can matter because D&D is very much a game by the numbers and any single point of AC higher, you know, when you consider that a 20 sided die is, you know, 5% per number. So if you just increase your odds of safety by 5%, that can definitely add up over, you know, the course of 100 attacks, then that's quite a few that might miss or hit depending on that single point of AC. So now we move on to medium armor. And this is where the calculation, like I said, will change. So instead of being the amount of armor that uh, sorry the amount of ac that the armor gives you plus your entire dex modifier it gets capped for medium so this is the trade-off when you have light armor you get to add your entire dexterity modifier if you are wearing medium armor you add your dexterity modifier up to two so medium armor has a higher ac from the armor but you can only partially add your dex so if you do have a 20 dexterity, then even though you would have that potential plus five modifier to your dex, you'd still only get to add that maximum of two for medium. So again, just to explicitly spell out what this means, because this is one of the stranger aspects of D&D 5e armor. If you're wearing, let's just say studded leather, because that is the best light armor, 12 plus your dex mod. So again, that 20 dexterity rogue would then have a 17 AC, 12 plus 5. So now to give the medium armor example, so let's just use hide because that is the exact same 12 AC plus dex mod, but again, capped at 2. So someone wearing medium armor, that same rogue would only get to add 2 of their 5 dexterity modifiers. So they would have a 14 AC since it is 12 plus dex max 2. So 14 AC wearing hide compared to a 17 wearing leather armor or a studded leather, excuse me. So that is the important distinction of light armor, full dexterity, medium armor, only a maximum of plus two. However, now we'll go into why anyone would actually want to wear medium armor, which is the very important fact that there are more types of medium armor with a higher base AC. So hide is the weakest one, that one that I mentioned in that example. So next up, there's the chain shirt, which is 13 plus dexterity mod max two. Scale mail, 14 plus dexterity, but max two. Uh, however, scale mail is also one of the armors that grants disadvantage on stealth checks. However, again, it's a pretty reasonable AC, so still worth consideration. Uh, actually, one thing I should also mention at this point is most of the armors I've mentioned, well, all of the armors I've mentioned from before up till now, I have not mentioned the gold price because it's relatively low. It's been 50 gold or less, which is something that adventurers should be able to attain within their first adventure or two, generally speaking. So I'm going to start mentioning the gold cost going forward because it's worth consideration. So after scale mail is the breastplate. And the reason I mentioned the gold cost is being relevant is that a breastplate costs 400 gold pieces. And this is just for a non-magical plain old breastplate. And that grants the exact same AC as the scale mail before it, 14 plus dex, 
max two, but with the trade-off being that while scale mail gives you that disadvantage on stealth, the breastplate does not. So you just have normal stealth availability if you just have a breastplate on. And now we move on to the strongest of the medium armors, which is half plate, which is 750 gold, but does grant a 15 AC plus your dex mod with that same max two and does cause disadvantage on your stealth checks once again. So that is light and then medium armor. So to go into the why once again, so if you have a character who does not have an excellent dexterity score, so consider someone who then has, let's just say 10 dexterity, just plain old average, no plus or minus at all, just a zero modifier. That would then mean then that a character who is wearing a breastplate would have that 14 AC and again, 14 decent AC, not the greatest but also not the worst in the world. At least it's, you know, not a single digit number. So this is also worth considering. Most magic using classes have absolutely zero armor proficiency. So that is one of the big weaknesses of most magic using classes. Uh, there's definitely some exception with uh, bards, warlocks. There's a few, but for the most part, you know, the pure magic users like the wizard has zero proficiency with any type of armor. So generally speaking, a magic user will only have their dexterity plus 10. Just a character that has no armor whatsoever just has 10 AC and then their dex. So if you have a wizard with an 8 dexterity, then that character will forever have 8 AC unless they're using magic to modify that number. So a character's armor class is really heavily affected, obviously, by the armor that they wear. So now moving on to the final category here, the heavy armor. So heavy armor is unique among the types of armor in that it does not give a shit what your dexterity actually is at all. Any heavy armor, just whatever the armor class that the armor gives you is your AC. And that's it. The only modifier is just do you have a shield as well? Or do you have any type of magic item or spell or whatever that modifies your AC? But for the most part, it is just whatever armor you're wearing is your AC. So the weakest one is ring mail, which is 30 gold and just grants you an AC of 14 with no dexterity modifier. So even a character who has shit dexterity can still actually have that decent AC of 14. Uh, one other detail I should mention at this point, though, all heavy armor grants disadvantage on your stealth checks. So all four of these that I'm about to be talking about have disadvantage on stealth. So after the ringmail, we move up to chainmail. Classic armor for clerics. Uh, costs 75 gold, grants an AC of 16, which, especially if you consider pairing that, you know, a cleric with, say, a warhammer and a shield as their handheld items, then that would grant, you know, 18 with the shield bonus. So pretty significant and why clerics are a pretty well-armored class. Uh, anyway, now we also go into, like I mentioned at the start of this, that strength requirement as well. Chainmail needs a character to have 13 strength in order to move at full speed, or if they don't have that 13 strength, then they will be slowed by 10 feet anytime that they're moving. And then also that same disadvantage on stealth checks I mentioned. Moving on to splint, 200 gold, 17 AC, and then a 15 strength required to move without being slowed, and then that disadvantage on 
stealth. Uh, just for the record, I'm just curious. Nathan, do you actually know what splint is? I feel this doesn't get talked about enough. No, what is splint? So, uh, actually, I'll just go with the description here for a moment. Narrow vertical strips of metal riveted to a backing of leather that's worn over cloth padding. Flexible chainmail protects the joints. So instead of having like a full solid piece of metal, like, you know, breastplate or just full plate in general, that splint is just bits of metal that are just bolted to leather, basically. And I just think that's fucking awesome. It's just a really cool, underappreciated, just visually type of armor. And the fact that this is an armor that only costs 200 gold and gives a character 17 AC. I'm honestly rather surprised that it's not as appreciated as a character's armor type because it is visually really fucking cool to look at. It is way more affordable for adventurers than plate, which I'll get to in just a moment, and still gives that really solid 17 AC. So now we move on to the king of armor, plate. 1,500 gold is the price tag for a full set of plate armor. And it grants an 18 AC, requires 15 strength to carry without penalty, and does grant disadvantage on stealth. So splint, 17 AC, 200 gold. Plate, 18 AC, 1500 gold. It is a hell of a jump. So those, yeah, that like the cost of plate armor is absolutely insane. And honestly, actually, somewhat amusingly, really, is an often ridiculed aspect of 5th edition, which is just no one can fucking afford plate until quite a ways into the game, unless you are an exceptionally generous DM in terms of treasure. So next up, before I go into some of the more implementation side of things, there's also some additional armor details further down in the player's handbook that's really important to know that a lot of people just probably don't which is getting into and out of armor. So how long does it actually take to put your armor on and take it off? Because generally speaking, your character, like most DMs interpret everyone as sleeping in their armor all the time, which is strange because that's just not what people would actually do. Like the whole reason of having, you know, someone keeping watch is that ideally you'll have someone notice something approaching you know, with by their light, and as we talked about before in the census episode, how far away you can see, there should be time to put your armor back on unless someone's exceptionally good at stealth and actually does manage to ambush you. Anyway, uh, the point being, it takes time to put on and take off your armor. So light armor, one minute to put on, one minute to take off. Medium armor takes five minutes to put on and one minute to remove. With heavy armor taking 10 minutes to put on, and 5 minutes to remove. And then you have shields as the ender, with just a single action to equip. And so it actually says one action to doff the shield, to remove the shield as well, which personally I find to be a little odd. I think you'd just be able to drop the damn thing. But rules is written, it takes an action to equip and dequip your shield. So, finally here, there actually is just a little sidebar with a variant rule about equipment sizes. So this is one of the kind of funny, almost video game logic aspects of D&D in general, which is almost every time, unless you are fighting against, you know, a giant, you know, wearing armor and wielding, you know, an appropriately sized greatsword, like we talked a little bit about in the oversized weapons episode, generally speaking, it is assumed 
that any armor that a character finds, they can fit in, which is kind of silly if you think about it, because part of the reason that plate is historically so expensive is because it's usually custom fit to the individual wearing it. But while it definitely does make a lot more sense to not worry about such a thing in D&D, I just think it is something worth pointing out that is of interest. So a D&D absolutely has the option with the variant rule listed here to make sizing be something that matters more in the game. So if you do find like a set of plate armor or if you find a set of, you know, magical robe of some kind or just, you know, something nice in general to make there be just a cost to get it sized for the character who wants to wear it before they can actually do so. Because generally speaking, armor is something that ought to be professionally fitted to you. Or just on the other hand, just to put the more common interpretation that I've seen used, generally the explanation is that either A, all items for adventurers are actually able to magically resize to the individual wearing them, which could very well be the case, especially for magic items. So if part of the benefit of magic items is the fact that they will just automatically resize to any individual who, you know, attunes to it or wears it, whatever the case may be, then that could also be part of why magic items are so valuable, because that's enormously fucking useful. Or the other explanation is simply that all, you know, leather armor, just like, you know, all of the just various armor types just have a lot of straps with buckles that just allow things to be resized because it's just kind of assumed that that's going to happen, that whoever's wearing it is just going to die sooner or later, and that it's just part of the culture of just like, yeah, that's just the way things go. We just ex- have to accept that fact, and we just make, you know, gen- the, the generic armor types sold in a general store able to be resized so that when that happens, and it will, that the armor can just get used by somebody else than that it is wasteful to custom fit armor because eh, they're adventurers, they're probably just going to die, which is a fucking bleak view, but does make logical sense in a world where adventuring is a more common profession. Whew. All right, so that's all the by the book stuff. So now I did say that we'd put a bookmark earlier in about talking about armor proficiency. So what is fun, just me being me, I notice immediately, hey, wait a minute, there's a loophole or two that comes to mind. So I mentioned when talking about that armor proficiency that it gives disadvantage on a lot of things. But I also did mention then that there are times where that might be worth it. So the classic escort is the bane of many an adventure just because it is a pain in the rear to try to escort somebody. So if you have like some, you know, just valuable person for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, just someone who is just a child that you're trying to escort safely, whether it is just like a nobleman who has no combat training of their own, but whatever the situation is, if you're trying to escort someone, it is honestly worth consideration that if the characters have the gold for it to have like some splint armor or something to give a 17 AC that is not influenced by dexterity to just get that individual in. So then in that situation, they have just slightly higher odds of surviving. Downside, of course, being that the splint does have that strength requirement. So if they're not strong, then they would slow you all down, which would be problematic. So you could also just go with the ringmail, which does not have the strength requirement, which would give a 14 AC, which is decent. 
And then that, as well as just that 30 gold cost. So having just like a spare set of ringmail for emergencies just in case might actually just be worth consideration just for that that sake in in particular. Uh, however, I also mentioned loopholes. So it gives disadvantage on attack rolls involving strength or dexterity. However, there is one case that immediately comes to my mind. There are a lot of, well, not a lot of, but there is one immediate example that comes to mind where attack rolls don't use strength or dexterity anymore. Uh, you may remember that warlocks are my favorite class, and they have a very interesting feature that if you do choose the Pact of the Blade, uh, or shoot, was it Pact of the Blade or was it actually the Hexblade? No, I think it might just be the Hexblade, come to think of it, excuse me. Ooh, I'm getting something wrong about warlocks. That's incredibly disappointing. I have reading to do. Anyway, uh, they have a class feature for that subclass that allows attack rolls to be made using their charisma stat instead of strength or dexterity. So because of the very specific way that this is phrased, that is attack rolls involving strength or dexterity, instead of saying, you know, melee attack rolls does mean that by rules as written, you can have a hexblade warlock who is not proficient in heavy armor just wearing a set of full plate and still able to at least use their full melee abilities, they would not be able to cast any spells at all while wearing the heavy armor, but they could. So you could have a warlock in plate armor that just uses their charisma as their attack, and if they just are willing to not be able to cast spells, then you can have a warlock who's charging around with full plate and that just 18 AC at you know any level at which you'd actually be able to get the armor or find it or steal it or buy it or whatever the case may be. So the fact that it does have that attack rolls involving strength or dexterity text specifically does open up that loophole, which I do just find to be interesting. Also, uh, just important fact about armor. We talked, honestly, I ranted somewhat at length uh, just on Tuesday's episode about druids and their ability or lack of ability to wear armor. One just kind of neat thing, a lot of the armors in the game do mention, you know, what they're made of, like interlocking metal rings for chainmail specifically. However, it is absolutely possible for a DM to simply say that there are other hard materials in the game. So if you have, you know, just uh, you kill some magical turtle that had a really hard shell, like let's say you kill a dragon turtle, a dragon turtle's shell is really fucking tough. So if you had some kind of person in the world who's able to use like the plates from the shell of a dragon turtle and wanted to make like a druid a set of, you know, ceremonial plate armor out of that, then yeah, yeah, druids don't have proficiency in plate armor. I'm just using that as the example though. But could do that. And then you can say, okay, just there are materials out there that could be used instead of metal. Or maybe you want to go more magic-y and you can have, you know, a set of crystal armor. So just things that are not metal. So you can have like a hard chitinous material if you kill a bunch of onkegs or something like that. There's a lot of fantasy materials that you could use instead of metal for your armors. And yes, I'm kind of focusing on the druid in terms of that. But just in general, any character who does just want to get a cool armor made this is absolutely something that you as a dm can make accessible 
gold just to add a little bit more flavor just to different armors that exist in the world. Like maybe there is just this, you know, island somewhere that is known for making like shields out of turtle shells or that is known for just making, uh, you know, coral armor that they can grow over the individual in question and maybe even just go a step farther and have that be a magic item instead of just the material itself. And you could have like a magical coral armor that, you know, just doesn't actually have any moving parts, but just moves with the person magically. And then even, you know, coral armor, you could continue the theme and it just lets them breathe underwater and have a swim speed. And, you know, maybe like if they stay unmoving, they can, you know, roll a stealth check if they're hiding amongst other coral with advantage. Like you can play with armor materials to have a lot of fun in a lot of different ways. So just because most armor is stereotypically, you know, made tougher by metal, you have got all kinds of things just available in the world to play with that a little bit more. So on the subject of uh, magic armor, there are just a couple of things that I do just want to mention just because they're things that are good to be just good to know about. So mithril armor would be the first one that comes to mind for me. Just it is classic fantasy type of armor you know, the exact thing that, you know, Bilbo and Frodo had in Lord of the Rings was a chain shirt made out of mithril. And just the fact that that is something accessible in D&D, I think is, you know, pretty neat. But uh, mithril armor it is not, you know, the indestructible type of armor that it is portrayed to be in Tolkien. But it does actually have a worthwhile magical effect that is worth just being aware is possible. So if the armor normally imposes disadvantage on stealth checks or has a strength requirement, the mithril version of the armor doesn't. So for a lot of those medium armors and all of the heavy armors, they all or a lot of them rather have that stealth disadvantage restriction. But by having that armor made out of mithril, that requirement goes away. So also going back to the escort example, that would mean then that if you did have a set of splint made out of mithril, then you would be able to have that 17 AC on someone without that strength requirement, without that stealth disadvantage. So considering how many, many of the just heavy, all of the heavy armors and most of the mediums having that disadvantage on stealth, mithril armor ought to be used a lot more commonly in D&D games. And yet, for some reason, I just don't see that to be the case. So I just want to bring that to your attention, DMs, and just players to ask your DMs. Just, is Mithril just that rare? Because it's an uncommon magic item. It's not rare or very rare, and that's just so useful in effect. And then the last magic armor I do want to mention is another of those just that I cannot believe more people don't know about, which is something called Elven Chain, which is a rare magic item. You gain a plus one bonus to AC while you wear this armor. You are considered proficient with this armor, even if you lack proficiency with medium armor. So this magic item is incredibly useful in its own right, but also just has an incredible implication to its existence. So first off, just the magic item itself. So it is a chain shirt specifically. So chain shirt is a medium armor, which will give 13 plus dex mod max two but then also has the magical plus one bonus. So it's 14 plus your dexterity, plus, uh, max two, of course, because medium armor. So the fact that it is, though, 
And even if you are not proficient with this, that you still are able to wear it, that you are considered proficient. That is amazing and something that I cannot believe doesn't get talked about more, even if it's, you know, something that you just don't have accessible because of, you know, a lower magic world. I am amazed that this is an item that is not talked about more often because this means any magic user would be able to wear this to give them 14 AC, you know, plus whatever their dexterity influence to that would be. So if you just have a wizard who just has, you know, 12 dexterity, so nothing amazing, but not, but still pretty decent. So that would give a wizard with this armor a 15 to their armor class, which is fantastic. And this is not an item that requires attunement. It just is something that you wear and are automatically considered proficient with. Amazing. But like I said also a moment ago, the implication of this, this item implies that it is magically possible to make a magic item that automatically grants proficiency. And that is an incredibly important detail to me. So the way that I like doing a lot of magic item creation in my own world is to just look at the existing magic items for inspiration of just what is possible with magic. So this explicitly spells out that it is possible to make a magic item that grants proficiency with its use. And that's fucking awesome. So you could then have there be plate armor with this enchantment that's probably much more expensive, but worth it for a lot of people potentially, where you then have plate armor or even just splint because that is a much, much more affordable option for people. So let's actually go with splint for the example in that case. Splint. Splint with 17 AC that with this armor just anyone is proficient with, which means if you have a spellcaster then with 17 AC, and because you are proficient, you can still cast spells. You do not take any of those penalties. Uh, you may still have the strength penalty, so that's worth consideration if you're slowed a little bit. But whatever, fuck it. That can get canceled out by Longstrider or the mobile feat. Like, there's lots of ways to mitigate a speed reduction. That's honestly the least important aspect of this. But to be able to have proficiency with armor, especially if you are a spellcaster that normally cannot, is unbelievably consequential. Uh, also, so uh, that will wrap up just the magic item section. But one thing that uh, that does remind me of that I should bring up, that restriction on armor is just if you are not proficient with it. You can gain armor proficiency through the game. There are two ways to do so, which is to either take a feat that grants armor proficiency. And there is actually a path where Okay, you can get light armor proficiency with the first feat. And then if you have light armor proficiency, you can get medium armor with another feat. So you can, through feats alone, build up all the way to heavy armor proficiency to be able to wear heavy armor, regardless of your starting class, if you know you play through the game that long or just build a character of higher level at that point. So it is absolutely something to do if you want to be, you know, that plate wearing magic user. You can totally build your character specifically for that sake. However, there is an additional option, which is training. There are rules to allow training for uncommon things in the rules. And that is something that here I'm just going to mention as a possibility. Training is actually another of the topics that I'm quite interested in and will definitely be its own episode. It is already on our list uh, at some point in the future. 
But so through feats, through training, you can gain armor proficiency. And if you do want to have that proficiency, then that is definitely something that could just make a much more dangerous character if you have a non-squishy magic user. So in summary, light armor allows you to have a item that just adds your full dexterity modifier to the AC that the armor itself gives you. Medium armor grants you a higher base AC, but only lets you add up to plus two of your dexterity modifier and could still penalize you if you have a negative dexterity. Heavy armor has no influence for your from your dexterity and simply gives you an amount of AC based on the type of armor in question. And whatever type of style you want your character to be, whether that is just the sneaky rogue in the in studded leather, or if you want to be the warrior with full plate mail and a shield to give you that full 20 AC, armor is an incredibly important aspect of Dungeons & Dragons. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rests and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now send us the email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.